Hello and welcome to an all new Talking Fußball Extra, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. My name is Nick Wiltagen and I thought, well, there's one team that has had 20 goals in its matches so far this season and that is Werder Bremen. So we should talk about Werder Bremen on this show and uh, to do just that, uh, I've invited my trusty companion, Jasmine Baba. So how are you doing there over in, in Bremen, Jasmine? Well, we're filming this on Monday after the Bremen-Frankfurt match, and I'm a little worse for wear. <laughs> Will we ever get a boring Werder Bremen match? I just want one simple win. Or, yeah, just a win, but a simple match would be nice once. Drama-free 3-0 <laughs> against, you know, whoever. Goals just before the 80th minute would be fine. That would be nice. All right. We're going to dissect Werder Bremen a little bit tactically and going to talk about how they got from the Bundesliga 2 to the Bundesliga and all that. And uh, yeah, all of that is to come in part one of Talking Foosball Extra. So stay tuned for that. Here we go, it's part one of Talking Foosball Extra, the Bundesliga show. My name is Nick Wiltang and I'm joined by Jasmine Baba to talk a little bit about Werder Bremen. Now, to remind ourselves of Werder Bremen getting to the Bundesliga, Jasmine, tell us, how have Werder Bremen gotten to the Bundesliga under Oliver Werner? Because he came in after Marcus Anfang sort of had screwed the pooch a little bit on his, you know, vaccine passport. Oh yeah, that was fun. We have a whole other episode about that one. Yes, that we do. If viewers don't know the story, should go back and listen to. But, you know, Anfang, he left Werder in chaos, and Werder was actually quite far behind on the table. They were eight points uh, behind a promotion place. So how did Ola Werner turn this ship around? I think there's a few things that need to be said about how they turned it around. I think at the time, there were quite a few injuries in Werder Bremen. I think it was Gruev and was Gruev injured at that time? Came back. I think Friedel also. And luckily, with Werder Bremen's recruitment process, they didn't go for someone so different to uh, Marcus Anfang. So the foundation work was already there tactically. Players came back, and I think that was a boost. I think... Marcus Anfang didn't have the easiest start with that Werder Bremen team and would have done better if he had all available players. So I think there was some sort of bias that we all thought, ah, oh, Oliver is amazing because Marcus Anfang didn't do as well. But really, he had all of his available players as well as the style not being that different. So for people who don't know, they both were at Kiel at the same time, Holstein Kiel in the third league. So Marcus Sanfang was head coach and I think Ole Werner was under 23s or under 17s. I can't remember which one. So their philosophy, the game philosophy was very similar. And after Marcus Sanfang left, Ole Werner took over Kiel? Or was there a manager in between? Well, I mean, it was shortly after he left anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that kind of game development was the same. Principles in possession, mostly. Um, the only difference is that Oli Werner doesn't use inverted fullbacks as much. 
But yeah, it's, it's more of a possession base. It was easier for the players to adapt to Oliverna. And I think also the emotion of it all really pushed Verda players into wanting promotion even more. It w- wasn't going to be great if they stayed in the second league financially. Schalke too. So yeah, I think those things made Verda go on this outstanding run and they didn't have the easiest of runs and yeah that's how they pushed them over the line into a promotion spot to be in the Bundesliga now right just quickly I, I checked out the uh, you know coaching history of uh, Holstein Kiel Anfang left in uh, 2018 and was replaced by Tim Walter uh, one of your other favorites yeah. uh, Jasmine I, that's why I and knew that uh, was Tim Walter left then for Stuttgart uh, the fall after only one year and he was replaced by a by a guy called Andres Schubert, who really hasn't done well anyway. Please be. <laughs> and Andres Schubert was then replaced by Ole Werner, who took over uh, only two and a half months after Schubert had started his gig at Holstein. So there was uh, 14 months between Anfang and Ole Werner at Holstein Kiel. So yeah, you can't anyways. count Schubert. You can't. No, no, <laughs> two and a half months. No. Nah, I mean it's it's sort of like a substitute teacher. You don't remember him, do you? Yeah. Now that we talked about how Werder got to uh, the Bundesliga, I mean going into the season, we we just knew that Werder Bremen were probably not going to use as much money on the transfer market as they used to do in the past because a uh, the club uh, still has a, a, some debt. B, uh, the club wants to actually end the season on a financial positive note, and that means that they want want to earn some money even if they get relegated. So what we did know at the start of the transfer window was that Werder was going to look for players in the cheap and cheerful sector of the transfer market, Mm -hmm. which, you know, often is cheap, but not often very cheerful. So how have Frank Baumann and his scouting team gone about trying to find the players that might end up giving the fans at the Wiesel Stadion something to cheer about? Well, they hired Max, so that's one. Well, yeah, um, you're clearly not biased uh, there, yeah. I take it. So if anyone doesn't know, Max Millian Hahn was at Darmstadt, was an assistant coach and also a part of their recruitment side who has now moved to Werder Bremen and... If you've watched Darmstadt and if you know of Philip Tietz, who was one of their main goal scorers last season, came from a free from Wiesbaden. Uh, Luke Pfeiffer was on loan, also their top scorer last season, came on loan from Midtjylland. Midtjylland, yes. Lovely Denmark. And if anyone who saw, and now he's gone to Stuttgart. So just... There are, even though you've said some that cheap but not cheerful, someone like Max's role, along with Clemens Fritz and Frank Bauman, is to make that a lot cheerful. And I would say that that has so far worked in the form of Lee Buchanan and Oliver Burke, which uh, Scottish fans had a real big go when they found Oliver Burke was uh, joining. But I don't think they knew that Werder Bremen was even in the second Bundesliga, so that their, their point is invalid. Um, Oliver Burke is now one of the most clinical strikers this season so far in the Bundesliga, so in terms of game time and goals. So that's how they've played the market. It's also important to state that there's been a talk about how much money is being spent in each top five European league 
transfer window and throughout all of the Bundesliga ones because obviously Bayern spends lots of money because they make a lot of money and it was the focus was mainly on Bayern but if you look at that whole table so Bayern spend around 29% of the whole value Dortmund second with around 20% of the whole value and so that's 50% of all transfer spending those two divided top. between two teams yep. so there's 16 other teams that make up the other 51% and um, Werder Bremen have spent just less than 1% of the whole window it makes them the second bottom club when it comes to spending money uh, I think the only money that's been spent is on Yenstey for 4 million that's the only amount of money the only team who has spent less money is Bochum who have spent I think not even half a percent so that's how the money is kind of looking at and how much Verda can spend and compete it's important to say I don't have the average on me but there are quite a few teams Augsburg there's quite uh, Augsburg Gladbach those types of teams are around six million seven million so even though Werder Bremen is behind in that sense they are not a huge way back from what clubs are spending this time around but um I would say the average is probably around 12 million for most of the league if you're not buying or dormant <laughs> yeah that is a big if I mean my question to Max would be if I were to chat with him directly is um how do you go about finding a guy like Oliver Berg because you know when you look at his vita his curriculum vitae you see like he's been at Sheffield United he's been at Millwall you know he came to RB Leipzig on a huge money transfer and was like considered to be this promising talent and ever since stuff has sort of unraveled a little bit and gone downhill so how do you know that this player might actually work out and that he can come on a free transfer you can also ask me this question i also um work in recruitment and scouting go ahead answer it's not only the men (laughs) (laughs) no that's a valid question it is I think I always say scouting is a bit like gambling. You can have all the... I mean, there's two parts. There's data that helps you recruit, and then you've got scouts who see if it's a good fit. So someone like any transfer will come up with what you're searching for, which you've hopefully done some analysis of what your team needs. And that can take into a number of factors that people wouldn't even think about. So not if they're a good goal scorer, but where do they score their goals? Is it the left side? Is it the right side? Is it, you know, near post, far post? How does the team score most of their goals and where would they fit? Then it's like physical attributes, you know, from their, are they a technical striker? Are they a target man? Are they fast? As well as like, oh, what height are they? What build are they? These are all these different components that you use. And if you find someone who fits, it doesn't matter what kind of background they have had. If they've looked like they can perform in some of their games, there is a chance that that person will perform for you and the team that you're looking for. So um, especially when it comes to cheaper and free and loan deals, you are more willing to take that chance if they've had a little bit of a lag 
in their previous campaigns. And there's also age to take into it. I've been talking about it a lot thanks to Manchester United and their recruitment. Peak age is a massive tell of how a player can perform. So between the ages of 25 and 29, that's normally a player's most consistent, stable performance age. So if, if you're Portuguese, that age can be lifted to 37 to 39, I would assume. <laughs> All Polish, Lewandowski. Yeah, there you go. There's many that break that rule, but normally when you're world class, peak ages then go a little bit more blurred. But for the, for the majority of players, and even world class players, the rate of consistency and stable performances is around that age. So you want the majority of your players around that age and getting most of the minutes that you have to offer. I think Burke is 25, so something like that is also a factor in recruitment. And that's why if a player has shown promise but hasn't reached a certain level yet, if they're coming into 25 to 29, they're A, automatically more valuable because everyone knows that they're going to probably perform a lot better in these ages and B, they're more wanted because of that. Great. Now, Lee Buchanan, he is 21, 22. He's, he's a, quite a young player. Now, he's played in the championship under Wayne Rooney at Derby. Now, Derby being an historic club and all that doesn't really matter. I mean, how, how do recruiters know that a player of that caliber is going to, you know, make the move from the second tier in England to the Bundesliga and then work out? I mean, how big a gamble is that, A? And B, what can you do to make sure that this is going to work out? Or uh, How do we know it's going to work? Well, we don't. <laughs> well, that, that was it, what the other was hoping I for. Always, we don't. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't. It, it, with any, and this is the thing, I think we've all seen Holland's transfer to Man City. There's everyone who says it's going to work and everyone who's not. Even a transfer of that caliber might not work and we never know it could be there's so many things that define a transfer working or not that to a point it's sometimes just luck it can be just feeling the recruiters data scouting all of that ai as well now all of that is to mitigate and minimize risk when bringing in a new transfer and it's things taking into account things like weather it's taking into account like if a player is coming from south america into a northern hemisphere country can they deal with the weather change it's stuff like languages is there enough people on the team which know the same language that the player can easily fit in as well as you know the technical side of things i mean oliver burke is probably a little bit more suited to Werder Bremen because he's been at rb leipzig before than someone like lee buchanan but younger players tend to want to go out and travel and experience more and if that means you know top team football because derby are currently in the third english tier that would also be a pro for them so it's all of these things that define a transfer and at the end of it it's just mitigating risk because it can always go wrong even in the case of uh, Haaland to Man City so 
hopefully. And I think that's something the Bundesliga is generally better at. They're better at recruiting and they have to be because they don't have the money the Premier League does. They don't have the money, I would say, even La Liga and Serie A does. So they have to be a little bit more knowledgeable in the recruitment side. And that's why, you know, Eintracht Frankfurt's won the Europa League. That's why Werder Bremen can beat Dortmund and things like that. So I think Werder Bremen are looking more towards this side of planning and recruitment to help aid them in the future. One thing that I was wondering when, when you were talking about that, I mean, what what oftentimes hits me when I watch like post-match so-called analysis by Sky and, and the likes is not their reporters will take just any odd stat saying that, oh, you lost 53% of the duels in that match. Is that why you lost this match? And you just think, well, hang on. Have you, you know, contextualized that stat of, you know, where has most of the possession been? In which part of the field has, has the game been played? Yep. Has one team defended more than the other? I mean, they just take any odd stat and just, you know, make it into, you know, trying to find a reason and to find a setup. Well, my question then would be in terms of recruitment. I mean, you can sort of look at simple stats and say, oh, this player has 25 assists or this or that. But how do you contextualize stats in terms of seeing if a player will fit into your side? How can you do that? So there's a lot of different things we can do and are being done and it kind of depends on who you work with there are companies that are trying to make programs to easily see who fits into which team so that can be league comparisons so taking averages taking different stats and styles of play as well and there's also something we call the th- thing that has... We've probably gone way off the Verda topic and just gone into stats now and data and recruitment. You know, I love that. I mean, that, that's your expertise too, yeah. so... We can go back to Verda and my day trip to Verda after this bit. Yeah, let's save that for part two. Let's just finish with that and we get into that in part two. So it's taking in different stats and different things of each league and comparing them. So you have like a baseline average to compare each league so something that I do personally that aids my analysis because I can't give up proper key games away seeing how many shots are taken in a league compared to another one may tell you if there are better defensive structures in one league over the other so for instance I personally don't think there's many good for the last couple of years there has been many good defensive structures in the Bundesliga but in Ligue 1 there have been and to help aid my point there are less shots made in the Ligue 1 than there is in the Bundesliga and this is after you account for the difference in games because there's more teams in the Ligue 1 than Bundesliga stuff like that and you have to then see okay would this person work with more space, less space in compressed areas in bigger areas? And then you've also on top, we've got a problem in media. And uh, as you said, Sky, The Athletic, all of these people misusing data and stats without much context. So unfortunately, they've made uh, event data. So 
that's pretty self-explanatory, but things like possession, shots on target, stuff like that, they've made that really popular. But event data only tells you the events that have happened, which isn't useful. So for let's say um, pass percentage, like successful pass percentage, that doesn't tell us that much because of the type of data used. It's tracking data. Basically tracking data is positional. We can see, not only can we see like how many pass successes, whatever, but we can see every, where each player on the pitch is. So that opens up like what passes are they making, who's it to, and that's the type of data we use. And this isn't available mainstream, this is club. So that is why there is such a big gap between data that is on Sky and this and actual professional data. And this is why you can't get the nuance you can from club data to media data because it, there's so much that they're not telling you and it's then just simplified to a point where there's no nuance at all. All right, this is it for part one. And uh, in part two, we'll be talking a little bit more about Bremen's current tactical setup and Jasmine's first trip to the Weserstadion. So stay tuned for that. Well, here we go. It's uh, part two of Talking Football Life for the Bundesliga Show, your source for all things German football. Now, Jasmine, you went to the lovely spiritual home of mine, which is the Weserstadion. Uh, tell me a little bit about that trip and the match that you actually saw there. Well, I mean, I've been around the Weserstadion for a few times now because it's a lovely area to walk in. It's on the Wesersee and... Basically, if you like uh, rivers and just then really nice green and water scenery, you'll love it there, especially on a sunny day. Like, we had a semi-sunny day yesterday, but it's a little bit like Fulham. It, Fulham's not on the river, but it's near enough the Thames. It, it, the Thames? <laughs> wow, I'm really going German. Well, have you been the to Thames? the Thames? I sound more German than Max now. Yeah, so it's kind of in terms of similarity, if you've ever been to Cra Craven Cottage, I nearly said Craven Cottage. <laughs> oh I'm my. Well, to live. Uh, Craven Cottage, it's kind of similar. That's how I would describe it. And it's a really nice... Even though we had Frankfurt fans there, it was a really nice vibe yesterday. Even um, though we had Frankfurt fans there, well, are they that nasty? I, I, I don't know. Like, I've had really different things. I've heard that Frankfurt fans are nice, and then I've heard that they're the worst ones in the league. So I thought it was a good vibe yesterday. There was no pyro. There was no fights. We had one uh, Frankfurt fan shout at us in a bus but was so completely wrong it made everyone laugh and I think I'm coming from this from a Premier League point of view and championship point of view that how things are organized for gaming games are, is crazy we walked down the street got a free bus to the stadium that took half an hour and you know, it wasn't that quiet, but we had an hour and 15 minutes to go to, like, 
match time, had a little walk around, went into the stadium within five minutes, found our seat, really well done, had a lovely view of the pitch, managed to catch all the warm-ups, and yeah, the only thing that really put a dampener on the match day before match and during the match was eight well two things the result um (laughs) and the british people who decided to sit next to me coming in 35 minutes late so they missed four goals bastards yeah they were they're probably still surprised that they could bring their beer to the seats which is like is is that allowed in germany i honestly wouldn't be surprised if they missed half the match drinking in the lobby and not realizing Oh, yeah, and that's another thing. You can drink and smoke at your seat. I've seen that happen. I mean, well, the, well you say that smoke, uh, you you know, that there, there is actually, uh, the Weserstadion is to be smoke-free by the end of the season. Yay! Oh, my God, because that triggers my asthma like anything. And there are actually signs around the Weserstadion now, right, uh, strongly advising against smoking inside the stadium. I did think it was less than usual. Yeah. I only smelt like one cigarette at half time. Um, and I don't blame them, to be fair. If every match is like that, they're going to have to rethink their rule. I mean, that's probably because the club has advised against it in very strong and certain terms uh, in the public. So that was your experience at the Velo Stadion. And, you know, I, I have to say one of my favorite bits um, is always, you know, go, being a little bit outside of the stadium ahead of the match because there are many sort of great beer stands uh, around the area and you can... You know, always find somebody to have a chat with, maybe some opposition fans, uh, you know, have a little banter back and forth, which is always lovely. Yeah, the little area just outside of the stadium going into... Is Ostertor? Is that that area? Ostertor, yeah. Um, across, along, there's a big street with loads of little cafes, kiosks. If you do ever go to a game, just have a walk around that kind of bit before making your way up to the stadium. Is that the street with, uh, and you know, the place where you have like loads of graffiti, yeah. like different sort of Verda style graffitis on, on the walls. Yeah, absolutely terrific place. Yeah. And because the vibes are really good. Most of the Wave fans, as you said, really, really nice and really good. Everyone, it, it, honestly, it was so friendly yesterday. I had to ask if Verda had like a fan friendship with Eintracht Frankfurt because that was how complimentary they were to Frankfurt I don't know if it was like ah you're Europa League winners we have to treat you with respect or something but it was like really really nice so I had to ask if they had a fan friendship and they didn't they thought it was a high risk match yesterday apparently so um, don't know what happened there which was also kind of weird because no one cares. There was a lot of Frankfurt fans with Werder Bremen fans in the Werder Bremen areas as well. There was a really big mix. So, yeah. I mean, that might go down back to, you know, the COVID days when Adi Hütter, Freddy Bovic and the Werder officials around Kohlfeld came to blows at one another uh, in the press after the match. I don't know. I mean, anything can trigger the German police into believing that any match is a high-risk match. I mean, the match between Wolfsburg and Werder was considered to be a high-risk match because the two groups of fans were such big rivals. And, you know, the, you, I mean, I mean, Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg group of fans? Fan, I mean, there's the fans, they have fans, multiple yeah. fans. Multiple? And also, yeah, especially in organization, when you come out after the match, even though it's busy, it's so easy to get through. And I'm normally scared of crowds. So once you come out in the stadium, woman on loudspeaker telling you exactly where to go. There was loads of police, but it was not threatening at all. 
for most people, I would guess. So it was really easy to ask them questions. Mainly probably because it's flaming police. They are nicer police arts. I guess you match the vibe normally. I don't know. They're probably, probably, probably nicer than the one in East Germany. But um, if, if, if the organizers of the Rammstein concert in Oslo are listening, yeah. take note. Um, and you can get 40,000 people to leave the same area within, you know, less than two and a half hours. Yep. So you come out of the stadium, go up the stairs, and there's a line of bu- free buses that you can take as a home fan, which is... It, that blew my mind because, you know, being in any Premier League club, I think if you're not an away fan and you have coaches for you and you set that up, everything else is just busyness and drama. But I can just take a free bus back home is a wild concept to me. And it was so well done. The buses were in numerical order as well. Oh, your OCD was happy. I'm like, oh my God, like what? The, what is the, what kind of magic is this that you have common sense you just walk down and there's like two of each bus so it's not even that full most people get a seat i'm just like even numbers nice uh, <laughs> <laughs> even it's numerical but yeah one, it's one a- thing i would add is that uh your match day ticket actually uh, gives you free public transport in for a fairly huge area in and around Bremen. Yeah, that, that's nuts. So you can't even take trains from the train station after the match using your match day ticket, which is, you know, compare that to, you know, any other country I've been to in terms of, you, you know, the match day experience and getting to and from the stadium. And yeah, it's actually pretty, pretty good experience yeah. and pretty simple. Definitely. So if you are looking to go to a game and yeah, want a more, I would say more laid back, but passionate place to go because even like sound level and fan level does not get drowned out it's really clear and loud sound i've felt nothing apart from like dinamo dresden which is even then like how they built that stadium it drowns out quite a lot of the sound whereas visa stadion doesn't so much so you do get a lot of the sound at the same time and it's really really amazing and really nice match experience for even a neutral fan so i would definitely recommend it now tactics what can you tell me about oliver's tactical setup for this season has he tweaked his tactical setups compared to the Bundesliga two days or is it the same and all things considered how do you think Werder Bremen are going to fare throughout the entire season i mean it's been 20 goals in four matches which you know if you're a math freak, tells you that there are five goals on average in every Werder Bremen match. I don't think he's he's not tweaked it that much from the Spider Bundesliga that I can see. So it is still a three back three slash five, and then three five in midfield, and then two up front. They are a little bit more confident on the ball this time than in the Spider Liga because I more. Fighter Liga teams will just be more defensive and chaotic and they're getting a lot more space in the Bundesliga that they're not used to. I think yesterday was the first time they didn't have as much space on the ground in their games, which is the first of four games. So against Dortmund, against Stuttgart, against Wolfsburg, they had more space to play with. So it's utilising that space which we're seeing more of than in the Spider Bundesliga. Um, they're also less direct, but I think that's a good thing 
because you can't rely on counterattacks all the time and to if you're relying on the fast balls and getting it not so good on quick transitions you can be punished like we saw in the Frankfurt game if you're not used to quick transitions if you don't play with intensity you should try and match that intensity in the Bundesliga that's just going to come back worse for you whereas in spite of Bundesliga because they're not as intensive you can overrun them with pace so um, it's not that much of a change just those little bits that you would expect from going from a second league to a first league you should still be able to press I think you have to press more in this league so that is another amendment I would see change in the coming weeks more pressing and players who can cope with that is always uh, a little bit harder to adapt so I would say that's another thing to keep your eye on and yeah so the philosophy is still the same the general formation is still the same the players are mostly the same and yeah it's just getting used to that more um energetic feeling of the bundesliga so how do you think they're going to fare throughout the entire season i mean it's five game five points from four matches uh 20 goals 10 10 in goal difference yeah it's been a wild ride so far are, are we going to see much more of the same going forward and uh, where will that leave bremen at the end of the season I think with any team, if you keep that dramatic, emotional and intense type of play, you're going to get tired very quickly. And that's not tired both physically and mentally, and that's not always good. So I wouldn't be surprised if it gets a bit calmed down in the next few days, in the next next few days, then the next couple of match days. That should be the way to go because I would be quite worried on my own heart if I have to watch another exciting game. <laughs> but I think it's important that they have their first win and their first loss. There are what three, four teams that haven't had a win yet. Schalke, Hertha and Bochum. And I don't think Werder Bremen play with a principal and look like they know what they're doing. Um, with those principles, whereas I would argue her to do not look like they know what they're doing. Schalke, we know what they're doing, they're running a lot, but yeah. So um, I think, I would hope, hopefully, that we are good enough to not be in a relegation fight and just be lower mid-table. So hopefully that is like an 11th or a 12th, that would be. I think a good first year back in the Bundesliga. I would agree. So let's hope that is going to happen. Anyways, uh, this is it for another edition of Talking Foosball Extra, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. This episode has been produced by Aiden Rantoul with the utmost of care. Uh, Jasmine, uh, always great to have you along. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, you know, asking you about player recruitment or Werder Bremen or, you know, nail polish... <laughs> I mean, you cannot see it, but Jasmine has actually done a terrific job with her nail polish today, <laughs> as each finger seems to have different colors all over it. Yeah, it's uh, a anyways, rainbow flag. It was... Um, well, there you go. Where can people find you? Don't contact me. Um, no, um, you can contact me on Twitter at underscore Jasmine Barber. Any questions about 
anything, just give me a message. Not about anything, but, but <laughs> play football or anything, give me a message. I'll try and get back to you. Don't come looking for cooking recipes, I take it. Don't uh, definitely you can find come for cooking recipes. <laughs> cake. Ask her about cake. She loves cake. Yeah, that's true. You can ask me about cake or football. I mean, you know, actually, my knowledge base on cake is much better than football, I, I assume. So um, ask me about cake at Null Musings. You can find the podcast at Talking Foosball. And next up on this feed is Matt Herman with another edition of Talking Foosball Direct. We'll be back with another edition of Talking Foosball Extra about the Bundesliga 2 and the lower leagues next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, it is goodbye for now.